We're carrying on our series in the Ten Commandments, and we've got to the Eighth Commandment. The Eighth Commandment. Do you know what the Eighth Commandment is? Very simple. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Now, what is there to say about the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal? How is that relevant to us people here in this building? Maybe we could have some application to the children about not taking other people's chocolate bars in school. Maybe we could have some application to those who work in offices about not helping yourself to the stationery from the cupboard and taking it home. And that would be true and relevant application. But I think it might seem a little petty to us. Yes, it's stealing, but it doesn't seem that significant. And I think the reason we can make this commandment seem a little insignificant to us is partly because of the presumptions we have about who's at church. Basically decent people who don't do anything really wrong in a big way. Just people who commit maybe little respectable sins. And the Bible doesn't presume that. The Bible speaks to people who rob and cheat and steal because God knows they can be found in churches sometimes. But we can also make the commandment sound a little petty and insignificant, partly because we don't see the big principles behind this commandment, the way that it gets to heart issues. And I want us to try to do that this evening by looking into Ephesians chapter 4. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. What we're doing here is moving from the Ten Commandments into the New Testament. Now, for weeks, over this series, I've been trying to raise our view of the Ten Commandments, showing that they are not just negative, they're not simplistic, they're not unspiritual. The Ten Commandments are good, and I've been hoping to give us a higher view of the Ten Commandments, and not dismiss it as, that's all Old Testament, we just need the New. But, having said all that, we mustn't stop in the Ten Commandments. They are good, but what we have in the New Testament is better. The Ten Commandments show us what sin is, but the New Testament tells us much more about how to live Christ's way rather than sin's way. So this evening, we're just going to be in Ephesians 4 the whole time. Ephesians 4 is telling Christians about living as new people. And it does it by putting together the gospel and the Ten Commandments. I wonder if you can spot the Ten Commandments in Ephesians chapter 4. See if you can spot some of the commandments. See if you can spot some of the subjects of the Ten Commandments coming up in these verses. For example, verse 25. What commandment have we got there? Verse 25 of Ephesians 4. The, the commandment against lying, that's right, which is the ninth commandment about not bearing false witness. Verse 28, which commandment have we got there? Do not steal, it's our commandment this evening. The, what did I say it was? Eighth commandment. Verse 31 is a whole load of sins which are most closely connected to which commandment? 
yes, that's right. Remember, Jesus says that that's about hatred. And we've got a whole load of hatred connected sins there. The sixth commandment. Moving on to chapter five, verse three. Which commandment is in view there? The seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. Chapter five, verse five is still on that commandment, but I think it brings in a little bit of another one. Yes, that's right. The tenth commandment, you shall not covet, as it warns against greediness. So Paul here is drawing on some of the ten commandments to bring together the gospel and the law to show us what Christian living should be like. We're going to try to follow his pattern now. This way, first of all, we're going to have the basis for Christian living, which is verses 17 to 24. Then we're going to secondly have what this means for the eighth commandment, which we'll get from verse 28. So the basis for Christian living and then what it means for the eighth commandment. So let's start with becoming a new person in verses 17 to 24. Becoming a new person. The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians and he's got a message they must take notice of. See here is urgency. Verse 17. So I tell you this. And insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. He's writing to people who've trusted the Lord Jesus. They've been baptized. They're they're turning up at church. They must be if they're going to hear this because it's going to be read out at church. And Paul doesn't say, now I've got a bit of teaching for you if you're keen. Yeah, if you turn up on a Sunday evening, not just on a Sunday morning, here's an optional extra for the keen ones. No, he doesn't. Paul says, I insist on this. Your way of thinking and living must change. You mustn't think and live like you used to. You mustn't be like the unbelievers around you. That's what verses 17 to 19 is about. He goes on to describe the unbelievers around them and say, that's what you were like. That must no longer be the case. I insist on this. Well, how does such a change happen? How is their living going to be different? Well, it's when Jesus Christ has dealings with you. And that's what verses 20 to 21 is about. Verse 20 to 21. Verse 20 is literally, you learnt Christ. You were taught and Jesus was the subject. Verse 21 is literally, you heard Christ. You were taught and Jesus is the teacher. You see that? You you learnt Christ. He was the subject. You heard Christ. He was the teacher. It was all about Christ and bringing you to be one with Christ. Well, hang on a minute. Did Jesus ever go to Ephesus? No, of course not. It was the Apostle Paul. But he turned up and preached as the spokesman of Jesus. And he told them about who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. And he preached calling them to turn to Jesus. And that turning to Jesus is described in verses 22 to 24. I hope you're seeing the pattern. There's you've got to live differently, not like you used to. Verses 17 to 19. How does it happen? It's all through hearing Jesus. He's the teacher and he's the subject. Verse 20 and 21. And you turned to him 
verse 22 to 24. Verse 22, when you trusted in Christ, you turned from that old way of life. And verse 24, you turned to a new way of life, a new self. And it's described as if there was this dirty, old, decaying man that has died and gone out of your life. And a new, clean living, fresh man has risen in his place. You turn from that old way and a new way has come in its place. But how does a new way come in its place? Uh, did the people in Ephesus manage to do this by their, their willpower, their determination, their good motives? Uh, no, have a look in between those two verses in verse 23. Verse 23, to be made new. Someone else was at work making them new. No surprise if you know the gospel and know our inability and our reliance on God to give new birth. And no surprise if you know Paul's already told them, chapter 2, some shocking things. Back in chapter 2, he said, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. You were like the world and you were dead. And dead people don't give themselves life. Who gives them life? Chapter 2, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions and sins. God gave them life. Their experience of it was they turned from that old way and turned to a new way. But behind it all, God was giving them new life. Now, what's this got to do with the Eighth Commandment? We're in a series, not through Ephesians, but through the Ten Commandments. Well, here's what it's got to do with the Eighth Commandment. Paul's about to tell them how to live the Christian life. He's going to bring together the Gospel and the Ten Commandments. And the way they come together is simple. You cannot live the Christian life without first receiving this new life. Oh, yes, you can restrain some sin. It's not as if we expect everyone who's an unbeliever to be going around committing every sin. You can restrain some sin and you can do many good things. But the Christian life is far more than that. And you cannot do it without first receiving this new life. Not long ago, it was the season for tadpoles. And there in your pond, a tadpole jumps out onto a lily pad. And it sits on the lily pad and sticks its tongue out, trying to catch a passing fly. And having done that, it then leaps onto a nearby rock. Well, of course, that never happened, did it? I'm sure you never saw that in, in a pond. Because it can't live like a frog until it's become a frog. And you can't live like a child of God, following Christ, until you've become a child of God, following Christ. I've said it so many times. But it keeps on needing to be said. If you're trying to live the Christian life without first having this new life, it will be a failure, a miserable, depressing failure. But we can put this the other way round also. As well as you can't do it without having the new life, we can also say this new life must lead to new living. 
But instead of it being just automatic without our involvement, we've got a part to play. That's why Paul says in verse 17, I, ins- I tell you this and insist on it. He knows it's not going to happen automatically. We have a part to play in it. Children, you've been playing all day in Bradgate Park and you've been running around so you're sweaty. And you've been splashing in the river so you're wet and dirty. And you've fallen in the mud so you're muddy. And you go home and you get thoroughly bathed and scrubbed. And then put on your old dirty clothes you were wearing. No, don't do that. That would not be sensible, would it? That's what the Christian is like if we are continuing to sin. We've been made clean and we're putting on the old dirty clothes again. As if no cleansing had ever been done. And so we have verse 25 onwards. Brings us to verse 25. Notice the therefore. Whenever there's a therefore, ask what it's there for. And we're told, because of what's happened in the past, there are things to put off like dirty clothes and there are things to put on like clean clothes. Uh, Let's just spot some of them. There's a lot of them, but let's just try to persuade you that it's really what's happening. Can you spot what are we to put off and put on in verse 25? It's fairly easy, but it gives you a break from hearing me and gets you thinking. What are we? We're to put off, so lying, and to replace it with speaking truth is putting off and putting on. Verse 29, putting off and putting on. Yes, unhelpful talk, replace it with helpful talk. The word for unhelpful, interestingly, is like rotten fruit. It spreads to others. The word for helpful talk is talk that gives grace to the hearer, a gift from God. What about verse 31 and 32? How could you summarize the putting off and putting on there? Yes, so put off things connected with hatred and put on things connected with or characteristic of kindness and love. Okay, so there's just some examples. By the way, John Stott, 20th century preacher, he has this amazing structure all the way through this passage of all these putting off, putting on and a gospel reason. It is said that if the Apostle Paul read John Stott's commentary on the Ephesians, he'd think, wow. Did I really write something so cleverly structured? I think John Stott pushes it a little far, but it's definitely there's something there. That there is this pattern of when God gave you new life, you put off the old person and put on a new. So now put off and put on, put off and put on, including in our verse, verse 28, connected to the eighth commandment. You shall not steal. So we've had becoming a new person, the gospel basis for Christian living. Now we move to secondly, put on a, a becoming a new person who isn't grasping, who isn't grasping. Paul writes to a church and he tells them, verse 28, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. 
Now, wouldn't you say, expect something a bit more advanced from the Apostle Paul? Yeah, if you've been waiting years for a letter from the great apostle, and what does he tell you? Stop stealing. Huh. Paul, who do you think you're writing to? Well, actually, some converted thieves, some of whom haven't yet stopped stealing and need to be told to. We are to expect there to be people in church who need the basic stop stealing message. But there's also something bigger here, something bigger behind this. The Old Testament calls a whole load of things stealing. Remember, the Old Testament isn't just simplistic. You don't have to move to the New Testament to get more sophisticated. The Old Testament calls lots of things stealing. Cheating others by having inaccurate scales in your shop as you measure out the goods. Called stealing. Not paying your employee a good enough wage. Stealing. Giving God the the leftover time when you've done whatever you wanted to do. Giving God the the second best is called robbing God. All sorts of things are called stealing. What do they all have in common? They all have in common a grasping for self, a I-must-have-for-self attitude. But grasping for self must be put off. Because that's what the old self was like. That's what the world was like. Remember verse 17 to 19 described the world that we're not to be like. And have a look at the end of verse 19. What is that world like that we're to have put off? The end of verse 19, it has a continual lust for more. I must have more. I must have more. Continually after more. Grasping for self. And we're to have put that off. Here is a good test of whether your thinking has been renewed or whether you still have the values and the attitudes of society around us. Do you have this continual, I must have more? Is the salary never good enough? Is the status never high enough? Is the holiday never long enough? Is the house never big enough? Do you have this continual grasping I must have more. Now, it's not surprising that unbelievers are always grasping for more. Of course they are, because they think this life is all there is, so they must grasp for more. They've got to grab what they can now. And they don't have a heavenly father. They can just rest in him providing for their needs. I said they've got to grab for self. But if you believe in heaven... If you believe in being with Jesus, if you believe the words of the Saviour who said it's more blessed to give than to receive and store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. If you believe you have a wise heavenly father who knows just how to care for you. Well, surely that doesn't go together with a desperate grasping. I must have more. I must have more. So can you see, are you starting to see how the commandment against stealing goes well beyond the little things like uh, do you park there without paying at the meter? Which, by the way, I'm, I'm not saying that's fine, go and do it. But I'm saying, do you see how the commandment goes well beyond that? It's actually exposing, do you really trust God's promises? Do you really trust the Lord Jesus? 
Do you trust him enough that it, it stops that grasping approach to life? And, and do you see that this also means that our lives being transformed, and it really would be life transforming if the grasping approach is completely gone, our lives being transformed doesn't depend on really clever, complicated methods. It depends on believing those promises of God. Believing those words of the Lord Jesus. Believing in eternity ahead. The more we believe that, the more the grasping will go. Many things in the Christian life are not complex. They come back to basic faith. So we've had becoming a new person, the gospel basis, who isn't grasping. There's the negative put off and now the positive put on, but instead is giving. Becoming a new person who isn't grasping, but instead is giving. Verse 28 gives us something positive to do. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Isla has got a job doing something useful. She's a teacher. She's doing something useful with her hands and it pays her a good salary. And she's got set up a standing order, giving 8% of her income to the church and 2% to other charities. And she's very organised, she's gift-aided it all. And so Isla can leave that standing order to run and pat herself on the back. Ephesians 4 verse 28 is done. Well, that's all good and it is part of doing Ephesians 4.28, but there's more to it than that. Remember, verse 28 is part of living the new life God gives you when you turn to Christ. And the old way goes and a new way created to be like Christ comes. It's changing from the way of the world grasping for self to the way of Christ giving of self. Oh, does that make you think of a, of a passage in the Bible? Turning from the way of the world grasping for self to the way of Christ, which is giving of self. The Bible passage come to mind? Philippians chapter 2. The Son of God, he didn't grasp onto his equality with God, but he gave of himself. He gave for others. He gave in obedience to his Father. And for Jesus, giving of self was death on a cross. For us, what might giving of self be? Well, I want to spend the rest of the time this evening on some examples of things it can include. What is this giving of self like? Let's have a few examples. The first one, let's not overlook the obvious one. I wasn't putting down Isla's standing order in my little example. So let's not overlook the obvious verse 28 one, work and earn money and give to those in need. And remember, doing so is following Christ. And Christ didn't come saying, do I have to give 10%? Is that the rule? No, Christ came loving those he saw in need and doing whatever he could to meet that need. And thank God he could do everything to meet that need. In other words, this giving isn't driven by a rule. Is it 10%? Is it what percent? But by love that provokes generosity where we see need. That generosity, yes, it will look different for different people. I don't think that we're supposed to be setting rules about 
what amount it is. The widow Jesus watched put two little copper coins, just little, what were they like? One pennies maybe, little copper coins in. And Jesus said that was generosity. Very different was a man called John Lang. He was the owner of a great big civil engineering company still around. Langs making railways and bridges and roads. And so, because he owned it, he had so much money. But he determined that however much he earned, he would keep his spending what it was when he first had work. Because he said, I don't need to spend more, so why would I? Give the rest away. And he gave millions. His generosity looked very different from the widow's. But they were both generosity. Giving. Working in order to give. Here's another way that self, we can engage in self-giving. Giving time. Giving time. That can actually sometimes be much more relevant to us than giving money. Because it could be that giving time is actually harder for you than giving money. And we're in a society where often people have plenty of money but not much time. It could also be relevant because there are plenty of people around us who may be could do with your time more than your money. Here we are on the well-off side of town, but there are still plenty of people around who are lonely. Plenty of people who spend a lot of time on their own, never seeing anyone. Plenty of people who are not sure who to turn to when they need some help. Generosity with time can really make a big difference within the church and in the witness of the church in the community. Self-giving can be giving money, it can be giving time, it can be giving your reputation. Here's an example for the children. There aren't many children here tonight, hopefully adults can sort of translate it into their um, situation. At school, everyone was laughing at a boy called Mark in the changing rooms. This is a true incident. Everyone was laughing at him, except for one boy called Rochi. That wasn't his real name, but that's what we called him. And he stood up for Mark, even though it got him laughed at. And he really was the odd one out, completely the odd one out. I am now ashamed that I joined in the laughing at Mark. I am now impressed by Rochi. Although he wasn't a Christian, he was a Hindu. He was actually being Christ-like by standing up for someone else, even though it got him laughed at and his reputation put down short term. I'd say his reputation went up long term, in my view. Now, that might seem nothing to do with verse 28. It's nothing to do with giving money, but but actually it is to do with verse 28 because it's another form of self-giving. Self-giving includes being willing to lose out as you stand up for others. It could be giving your reputation, giving up your popularity, giving up what other people think of you. So many examples. I'll pick a couple more more specific ones now. Mothers looking after children. There can be a self-giving of your reputation. The world values you by what? How much you earn and how good your career looks. And to give yourself to looking after children, that has a cost. And it can be self, uh, Christ-like self-giving. 
One more example, opportunities, giving of opportunities. There's loads of ways you can give opportunities, but I'm going to pick one example, which I mentioned in the notices this morning, to be very practical about this. Now, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, are you familiar with those two chapters where Paul is talking about giving money? And he's writing to the rich church in Corinth, and he says, you've got plenty of money, the Christians in Jerusalem are really poor, and wouldn't it be great if your plenty made up for their lack? He says, I'm not asking you to be poor and them to be rich. Let's have a bit more of an even distribution. Your plenty making up for their lack. He's talking about giving money, but it can apply in other ways. There are other things where our plenty can make up for others' lack. So here's a very practical, specific example. Opportunities. Some of us have opportunities to hear God's word and worship him with his people many times. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, again on a Thursday, maybe even more times than that. Some people, the most obvious example is parents looking after little children, find it very hard to take advantage of those opportunities. Could you help them with that? It could be some babysitting. It could be joining in with that rotor for the crash. So your plenty supplies their lack. Oh, it's a very little example, but this is just the sort of thing that Ephesians does. It starts with the big gospel picture and it takes us down to little practical ways of being Christ-like. Christ-like self-giving can be done in very practical little ways. Well, there are many more examples, and I hope you can think of many more. But let's finish with a real person. George Muller was a thief. He stole from his dad's work. He was out gambling while his mother was dying. Think of that, out gambling while his mother was dying. He went and stayed in guest houses and ran off before he paid. He was a self-grasping man. He turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and became so self-giving that he had 30 orphans living in his house. I don't know how he managed that. And he raised funds to build orphanages for thousands of poor children in Bristol. And at 70 years old, instead of peacefully retiring, he travelled 200,000 miles over the next 17 years preaching the gospel. And this was well before the days of aeroplanes. Self-grasping to self-giving on an amazing scale. How did that change happen? The change happened not because of anything in George Muller, but because of something in the Son of God. The Son of God came and lived a self-giving life. And he died a self-giving death. So we won't be condemned for our self-grasping. If our confidence is in him. And that same Lord Jesus takes us by the hand and he leads us to a new way of life. Following him in self-giving and turning from all self-grasping. So is your hand in his? Have you received this new life from him? And are you turning away from all self-grasping and putting on instead a self-giving way of life.
We've got one last song and you'll find it to be a prayer for God to give us this sort of life. Let's stand and listen to it.